Welcome to a Brave Space podcast with Dr. Catherine Meeks. I'm your host, Chelsea Glasgow. A Brave Space podcast supports the work of the Absalom Jones Center for Racial Healing and providing a brave space where the truth can be told. Hey, Dr. Meeks, how are you? I'm well. How are you today? I am well and ready to get into this session today um, because we're going to dive deeper into the Center for Racial Healing's initiative to reimagine policing as we begin to dream, develop, and do the work to reconstruct a better policing system. Now, there are so many topics and issues affecting our communities. I mean, there's healthcare, um, there's economic, there's uh, poverty, there's education. Why has the center decided to be a leader in reimagining policing? Well, that's an excellent question. And thank you for asking me. Uh, it's, it's, came as a little bit of a surprise to me when it was clear to me that this is what we should be doing. Because as I have observed everything that's been happening over the last few days, it seems to be really clear to me that this is the most urgent issue in front of us. So if we were working on education or working on um, healthcare and, and people are continuing to be killed, and this violence that's being perpetrated against us by some people who have who are policemen it would and and maybe even police women it would be a, a a very strange way for the center to be operating not really paying attention to the most dangerous thing in front of us so i think this right now is the most pressing issue and you know in some ways it it's probably going to have a ripple effect that if we get if we get something done about this uh, issue of policing and the and, and shifting the energy in the culture I think that it's going to have some impact in other arenas absolutely I mean well what does this initial push looks like when we talk about re- reimagining policing what exactly does that dream look like? Well, the, the first thing that I want to do is to create space. I want the center to be a catalyst in creating space where we can have conversation, where people can talk about what they're dreaming. And so that's why we have done this series of programs that, that we're presenting that's around to, to get that conversation going. Because I don't think you can sit in a room somewhere by yourself and come up with some plan and then come out and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. I think that people from all different uh, parts of the community have to be a part of the conversation and have to be trying to imagine how do we want this world to be different. And it's, some police departments have already reimagined themselves and done some pretty significant work in becoming more transformed into really being a... Um, public safety resource and really trying to um, offer what people expect to get from the police rather than these these uh, outrageous acts of violence and dehumanization. So, so that in itself encourages me because if somebody has done it, it means that other people can do it. And I want the center to be a catalyst in, in, you know, uh, encouraging, uh, I don't see the center becoming a police academy. 
I'm not interested in that. I'm not trying to do that. I think our role is to work on racial healing, to work on uh, helping uh, police departments, whoever would be willing to be engaged by us to talk about racial issues and racism and white supremacy and those kinds of things. But but the, the reimagining is going to involve a lot of things and, and training, funding, uh, people telling the truth to each other, how we recruit people for the police departments in the first place. You know, it's a, it's a multifaceted piece of work. And I think the center will, will be a, a good resource to help with some of that. And some of it, we don't, we don't know how it will look because we're just getting into it and we'll see it'll unfold more as we go forward. But I see, I know we can enter into the first piece that we're already doing around education and communication. When, when we're doing this work, would you call this work reformation type of work or reconstruction um, type of work? I think it's got to be reconstruction. I don't think that we can reform uh, the, the systems that we have put in place. I think that we have to, and people get scared to death when you start talking about reconstruction because we just hate change so much. So we always want to try to fix what is, and maybe we can get away with not having to change. But I don't think in this case that there's any way to fix what is. I think we have to reimagine and and be willing to let go of the old ways of doing things and the old ways of being as well. And that's going to take a while. This isn't going to be solved next week. And I think that's the other piece that we have to get straight in our heads because we're so so much a microwave culture and we want everything to be instantaneous. And I think this is long haul work. We've It's taken us a lot of years and a, a lot of history to get here. And it's going to take more than of, of just a, a one um, a season of major worldwide protests to fix it. I think the major worldwide protest is making it untenable not to try to fix it, which is another thing we're really good at is putting Band-Aids on, on big problems and calling, our, calling it done, you know. And so the, the Center for Racial Healing is about telling itself the truth as much as trying to get other people to tell themselves the truth. And the truth is we know that it, that in some ways it's like we're sitting by the ocean with a teaspoon trying to dip it dry. And, and that's, a, a you know, an errand that you would have to question, but we have to sit by the ocean with our teaspoon and keep dipping with the hope that we'll make a dent and, and we will be a catalyst and that others will come to join us and that we can see some difference. We can, we can have an impact. We can change some of the, the negativity and the, the, the rage and the, um, the racism that's, um, that's running just all down the road without any checks and balances right now. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, and I think there's a, this is a good time to point out that there have been, um, there has been some success. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier the police departments that have really buckled down in reconstructing their systems. I mean, the Camden, New Jersey Police Department did a clean sweep 
and march with the protesters. You have the Dallas Police Department, um, who has become a poster child for police reform because they've increased number the number of body cameras, um, published statistics, you know, with 12 years worth of data of police shooting. So, you know, keeping that relationship with the community has done them well and really, you know, bonding um, regardless of the positions that they have, right? Uh, what do you think is the status of police and just just people, Um what what does that relationship look like and what does that look like when we reimagine policing you know i know you were saying that hey you know we aren't trained police officers right but but as you know responsible citizens we still have to take a right to reimagine policing what does that look like for me um who's not a police officer and what does that look like perhaps for a police officer you know I think Chelsea, one of the one of the biggest things it seems to me that has been lost in this um, construct between police and community is that we we have forgotten that both both groups are human, and and we so so we have we see each other in so many instances as adversaries, and and um, the the police probably see the many people in the community as enemy. And, and, you know, we have some serious systemic problems with uh, people, racist people becoming police officers because they want to be racist and they want to um, be able to practice their racism legally. And people coming back from war with post-traumatic stress syndrome, mental health, other mental health issues, and can't find work and they can find work in police departments because there's a shortage of police around the country. And then um, people that just don't get enough training, so they don't really know what they're trying to do. And people with mental health issues need to be, that that needs to be put on the table some kind of way. We need to do better screening, better training. But even if we do all of that, we still have got to have um, police chiefs and administrators that won't tolerate bad behavior, that won't tolerate roguishness that won't tolerate you don't get to practice your racism when you're at work you know if you if and and, and if you do the consequences are swift and severe for you and and so there has to there we have to create a new culture where there's respect and trust and we don't have that right now in too many places i loved um in camden new jersey seeing the policemen out marching with the protesters over the last few days here, and then watching them cook uh, hot dogs and hamburgers for the people who were protesting and watching them serve those people. And so they, they made a point out of, we're all in this together and we're going to be supportive of each other. And, and there's not going to be, nobody's going to get harmed here trying to do this collaborative work. And so, I, you know, I don't feel like there's much of a sense of we're in this together in terms of the everyday uh, job of the police officer going out to do their job. They are going out with the notion that they're going into enemy territory. And then we, the citizens, are seeing them as the enemy. And so they go into a community and it's like, here comes the enemy. And they, they say, well, we're going to the enemy. You know, you just think about how that even sounds. 
I mean, this, what's going to happen when you get together? You're already ready to harm each other. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you just think about, you know, I have um, neighbors, I have uh, friends who are police officers, right? And, of course, you won't know a police officer until they put on a uniform. So you just imagine, you know, walking outside, seeing your neighbor, hello, how you doing? And then they get into their police car and suddenly there's tension. Suddenly I'm reminded of, you know, Breonna Taylor. Suddenly I'm reminded of all of the um, uh, racism, the systematic, systemic racism um, that has caused lives, you know, to, to be lost. And so, you know, at that point, how do we how do we even bridge that gap? Um, what do we do? You know, on a day to day basis, of course, you know, we can treat each other with love and respect. But what do we do when we get to that point when we get pulled over by a police officer? Right. You know, how is that to look someone in the eye and see their humanity, but at the same time, be scared, be scared to death? Uh, you know, how, how do we bridge that gap? Right, because a routine traffic traffic stop can end up with somebody dead, and so that that's that's not a good way to uh, have to think about all this. I think that we've got some significant work to do in building trust, so that when I when and uh, police officers who are tr- out there getting up every day, seeing this as a vocation, a call to serve, that truly want to do this work because that's the way they want to serve their community and they feel called to do it. They've got to speak up about the rogue cops that are not trying to do that. They've got to stop being complicit by being silent. That, that's, that's, got to, that's one thing that needs to happen. And on the citizen side, we've got to be willing to take each police officer as we find them, rather than lumping them all into one big group and thinking that because you met this one a police officer who was uh, profiling and belligerent or whatever, then that's who they all are because that is not who they all are. There, there are some of them who see this as their, what they've been called to do and they're good at it and they care about people and they want to do something uh, that would be good. So there's got to be some truth telling on both sides of the fence. And, and, and it's, and it's the, the, the serious thing that we've got to not lose sight of, that you can only do this community by community. You, can, you can't build trust relationships by handing out edicts, you know? You, I mean, you, can, you can create spaces where people have to be held accountable and uh, you can do a lot of things, but you cannot build trust except for people to be in proximity to each other and sharing with each other and coming to see each other as equal human beings. And and that's a role the center the center for racial healing is really good at playing in helping to facilitate that. And that's that's a role that we absolutely need. I'm glad that you said that. You know, because on a global level, on a national level, um, it is. You're right. It's very hard to build trust, right? Uh, because the you know we hear we hear things from the media, we hear things even from the president before that things that that just don't sound right. Um, and so as far as, you know, building that trust, trust starts at home. Um, and, you know, another part of that is holding people accountable for their behaviors. 
Um, I, I think you mentioned it a little bit before as far as how we have to be able to name the racism. We have to name it. We can't be complicit about it. And we have to have everybody name it, not just the people affected by it, but the people who are, you know, who who are empowered by it. Everyone needs to be able to name that and not be complicit about it. It's very interesting, you know, how we all know at least one person who has been treated unfairly by the police, but policemen don't know one officer who has ever mistreated someone. Right. Like that's just insane. Like how, how is that? So Um, it's not, it's not so, so. Well, well, you know, the the attorney general just uh, made the great proclamation of some days ago on face the nation that he didn't think there was much racism, any racism uh, involved in policing in America. So I want to wonder, uh, is he alive? You know, how, how do you not know? How do you not know this if you are walking around in this culture that racism racism is everywhere in, in all the interactions across the board in the United States of America? You will find threads of racism that have to be interrogated and dealt with. So I so but that does not have to be the end of the story. In spite of that, there can be relationships that evolve where people know that they can trust people in uniforms and people in uniforms knowing that they can trust the neighbors. There was an example of somewhere that I saw posted of a police officer that got separated from his group and this group of protesters protected him so he wouldn't get hurt by anybody who would want to have a malevolent attitude toward him. And so that's what we've got to have. We've got to have citizens being willing to stand up for the police and police standing up for the citizens. And we need policemen that don't think that they can they can do anything because they can get away with it, but who feel like they want to have they don't want to use excessive force not because they can't get away with it, but because they don't want to deal with people like that. They want to deal with people in a different way as, as, as if they are human beings and they want to solve problems with as little force as possible. You know, here, when you see somebody dressed up in riot gear and carrying a baton to beat your head and all kinds of stuff, it just sets off something inside of you. And you want to see people coming out to deal with um, citizens as if as if we're all kin to each other and we need we need to have um, people protected and served and if folks are not behaving and doing things to hurt other people they need to be dealt with but we don't need the police to become a part of the problem absolutely Absolutely. And, you know, just reminded me um, of the scripture uh, in Ephesians that says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Right. We wrestle against principalities and and powers and systems is what we uh, is what we're warring against. A system, not a police officer is who we're not warring against. We don't we're not warring against a flesh and blood. And if we make that a problem, then we'll never get to the system. We'll never 
we'll never be able to attack the system if we're too busy attacking one another. Um, and, and, and that will just be chaos. And so um, above all else, you know, we love one another. We'll be able to see past the suit, see past the stature of a man and look at the heart and evaluate our decisions and our um, strategy based off of the, the heart of the system and, and not what, what our, uh, our, our fellow friends and family, you know, <laughs> Right. That's right. Oh. Well, and I and also think that it's I want to say a word um about the media. I think the media has a great role to play in helping us reimagine policing because the way things get reported, uh what gets reported, that's really important. And you know, everybody who's uh got a public voice influences somebody somewhere. And you have to decide if that influence is going to be for good or ill. And I think sometimes the ways in which things get talked about, what gets highlighted is not helpful when we're trying to create a new narrative. So I'm working to engage the media as a part of what the center does as in terms of being a partnership with us, being in partnership to help in creating this new narrative that will help to create a culture that is more interested in public safety, people in uh, black and white or blue or whatever color cars with their black and blue uniforms of being public servants and protecting us and not expecting them to be parents and social workers and uh, law enforcement people all rolled into one. That's the other thing we have to do. We really gotta decide how we wanna take care of each other in our, in our society. And, you know, and, and every time, Chelsea, every time we start working on a big problem, we always want to reduce it to oversimplify it and just want to do one thing. So we say, well, they just need better training. I don't think this is a training issue. I, don't, I think training may be a part of the issue, but I think it's just a cultural construct based upon the long-term systemic denigration of people that are not white. And so how do we then change that cultural narrative? And that's, that to me is the work in front of us. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of work in front of us. And it's going to be very necessary for all of us to gather and rally and to support and to put effort into making this work um, happen to make this dream come true because uh, so we're about at the end of our time, unfortunately, because we can definitely talk about this literally all day because there's so many aspects, so many different components um, that are involved in this conversation. But if you would like to continue um, uh, with us and have this conversation, please go to our website and register. We are having some upcoming events. Um, we're going to complete our three series web seminar on uh, July 2nd, but we have one coming up on Thursday, June 25th. And again, the last one is on July 2nd. You can visit our website at www.centerforracialhealing.org to register, as well as um, read up on our newsletter, connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, our 
our handle for Instagram and Facebook is Center for Racial Healing. And of course, please go and like the beloved Dr. Meek's um, Facebook page as well, because she's always dropping jewels. If you think that this podcast, um, she's dropping the wisdom, you just wait until you go to her Facebook page um, because she's very hands-on and interactive and engaging in that. Do you have any final words for us today, Dr. Meeks? Well, I just want to thank you as a young person for being... um, so engaged in all of this and willing to to be in this struggle because we uh, um the 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 seniors the crones the the old folks we haven't we worked hard but we didn't do enough and and we owe young people an apology i think for not having done this work better but you know you do the best you can when you're doing something so i want to say to you and all of the young people how much I appreciate you all's um, energy and vigilance and uh, helping to keep our feet to the fire. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Minks. That's an honor um, to hear. And also, you know, just to return the honor, like your generation has helped pave the path. We're standing on your shoulders. Um, We wouldn't know what it means uh, to be bold, to be courageous, to, to march. Um, to protest, to 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 vote. We wouldn't know what that meant had it not been for you guys taking a stand day in and day out, sacrificing um, just for us to have this platform. And so I just wanted to let you and everyone else know that we have you all's back, that you can be at peace and at rest because we we see the vision and we are pushing it forward. Well, that is all that we have uh, for you all today. So thank you again for listening to a Brave Space podcast with Dr. Meeks. I'm your host, Chelsea Glasgow. And as always, remember to tell the truth.